you have brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, I started in 1 Timothy last week and didn't get very far and told you, Lord willing, we'd, we'd be there again this week, and Lord willing, so we're there again this week. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'll give you just a minute to get turned there. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up, in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, and having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore <clears throat> we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you this morning one more time, thanking you for the good day and the many blessings. And Lord, as we pray over this part of our service, God, we're just asking that you would move upon the hearts and minds of each one that is here. Lord, there's nothing that is hidden from you. No surprises here this morning. Nothing you don't see, nothing you don't know. So Lord, we're just praying, asking right now that you would just have your perfect way and will here in our service. Lord, that you would do what only you can do, and we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. So God, move upon us. Lord, pour out that, uh, your Holy Spirit on us. Pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction. God, bring to if there's something in our life, something that ain't right, something that hadn't ought to be there, whether it's something we're doing, something we're thinking on, something we're dwelling on, whatever it might be, God, it's coming between us and you. Convict us of it. Don't give us any peace until we repent and get it out of the way. Because the most important thing is our walk with you, our relationship with you. Lord, if there's any here this morning that don't know you, Lord, let today be the day that they would come to themselves and turn to you and surrender it all to you before it's too late. We never know when our last moment is. You do, but we don't. So, Lord, I'm just praying, have your way and your will in our midst here this morning. Moved by your sweet Holy Spirit. And, Lord, I need your help. 
God, you've called me to preach your word. That's why I'm here this morning. But I can't do it without you. I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say here this morning. Lord, help it just to flow, uh, Lord, from my spirit to theirs. Lord, let them know that it's come from you, not me. God, I'm asking for your anointing, your holy unction. I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I started out last week, and I want to briefly go over my introduction again, just so we're all on the same page. I started out wanting to give you an overview of First uh, <coughs> Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Um, I, I was going to say from 30,000 feet, but it's more like from outer space. First uh, uh, Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus are what's referred to as the pastoral epistles. All right, so that's the letters to the pastors. Timothy and Titus were both pastors. They were young men who were pastors who had been called to preach and had went to different places. I believe if I remember right, Timothy, one of the churches he pastored was Ephesus. I know Titus was Crete, uh, the island of Crete, the church that was there. Paul, anyways, has, has, uh, he refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. Uh, and so Paul was writing these letters to them, instruction, helping them with some of the things that they're going to deal with, but, uh, you know, telling them how to, uh, how to instruct uh, the people that God has put in their care spiritually, uh, the things that they need to teach. And because of that, that makes it, <clears throat> excuse me, pertinent and relative, not just to pastors, but to every one of us, because these are the very things that we need to be learning and we need to be doing. And so anyway, so that is a, just a way back uh, uh, overview, right, from a far distance away, just an overview of those three books. And then if we zoom into 1 Timothy, and this is probably what's more accurately would be called the view from 30,000 feet. If we look at chapter 1, right, there's, there's a flow to the book of 1 Timothy, right? In, in, in chapter 1, Paul reminds Timothy... Right, that God has not only entrusted the ministry to him. Now that's important. God has put a calling on him and entrusted the ministry to him. And those that are under his ministry, their spiritual care is entrusted to him. And Paul reminds him of those things. But not only that those have been entrusted to him, but also the fact that Timothy is not in this alone. He's not doing it on his own. But he is. In, but God has also enabled him to faithfully fulfill his calling. That's the first chapter. You, you could sum it up in one word and it's the charge right it is it is timothy's charge is what happens there in the first chapter and then chapter two and chapter three paul breaks down uh the church and and he explains the very aspects of of a local church right a true church that is truly following christ right and so so he breaks down the very aspects and explains first of all the role of prayer 
in the local church, and then the role of men, and then the role of women in the local church. And then he goes through, he starts in chapter 3, and he goes through the qualifications of a, of a pastor. And, and so in other words, there we can see the, the role of a pastor to a certain extent. And then right behind the pastor is deacons, and he, and he gives the qualifications, and by implication the role of the deacons as well in the local church. So you, you have the setup of the local church there. And then verses 14, 15, and 16 is what I read to you last week. And that right there is a, is a very concise summary statement. And then we get to chapter 4, which that's where I'm going to be at this morning is chapter 4. We're going to really zoom in on chapter 4 in just a minute, but let me give you the 30,000-foot view. Paul is speaking here to Timothy about some aspects of his ministry, right? Chapters 2 and 3 was aspects of the local church. Now, chapter 4 is some specific aspects of Timothy's ministry, of the pastor. And not just Timothy, but the pastor's ministry. So, Paul starts out by talking about his call to preach the word of God. Do you realize not only was that a problem in Paul and Timothy's day, that's a problem today. Do you know how many uh, stand behind the pulpit but do not preach the word of God every week? And then, and I, and I hit on this pretty hard last week, about hypocrisy. He tells Timothy, you've got to preach the word. That's what you've been called to do. Right? If you're going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, you have got to rightly divide the word and you have got to share that. You have got to preach that. You've got to teach that. But it's not enough to preach it and teach it. You've got to live it as well. Because if you don't live it, you're just a hypocrite. And, and, and I talked about that quite a bit last week. So you've got to preach the Word of God. You've got to practice the Word of God. And as you do that, you will continue to grow in the Word and the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you'll grow in and through God's Word. And if you're not growing, something's wrong. You better, you better take heed of thyself. You better examine yourself and, and, and figure out what's going on and make some corrections. Seek God. So Paul here... You could sum it up with how to be a good minister. And then chapters 5 and 6, he speaks about ministering God's word to various kinds of people. Actually, he named seven specific groups. And I don't know if there is to, something to get from seven. In other words, if every one of us fit within one, within one of those seven groups, or if these are just seven specific groups that are going to need special attention or special instruction. I don't know, but he starts out, and it's, it's the older folks, then the younger folks, then the widows. I think that's something that's important to go there and read that because he says there are truly widows indeed. Huh, Bible's definition of widow is different than our definition, but anyways, so those that are truly widows indeed. And then elders, and when he says elders, he's already talked about the older folks. What he means here is other ministers. Timothy, you're going to be a pastor, and sometimes you're a pastor to other ministers. 
And then the Bible uses the word servants, and for us today in our culture, that would mean employees. And so there's talk about the employee-employer relationship and how that is to be handled between a Christian and another Christian and a Christian and a non-Christian. And then the next one is false teachers. You're going to have false teachers arise. You're going to have them try to come in, right? You're going to have them lead people astray or attempt to lead people astray. Here's how you need to deal with that. And then lastly, rich people. How to, in other words, how to treat these various groups. Now, what I honed in on and wanted to point out to you was the word thyself, okay? Um, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and 3 Timothy, no, 3 Timothy, Titus, <laughs> 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, that word thyself appears seven times. Seven times in five different passages of Scripture. Now, I've already, just in my little bit of talking here, that number seven has come up two different times. Um, I'm not one that's, that's too hung up in, in numbers in the Bible, right? It's actually referred to as numerology. Uh, but there's something to it, and there's significance, and there's meaning in the different numbers, right? I already told you there's seven different groups of people outlined in the last two chapters. Uh, and here the word thyself appears seven times, right? Uh, seven in, in the scripture is uh, completeness perfection, right? There's seven days to creation, and, and I mean, we could just, you know, go on down the line, right? To, uh, seven, man, you really want to talk about seven, go to the book of Revelation, right? Seven churches, right? Seven letters to seven churches, and so, uh, you know, you just go on and on and on uh, with, the, with the seven. Seven angels, right? Seven seals, seven trumps, you know, seven's important, right? And it's completeness and perfection, um, but it appears in five different passages, and five throughout the scripture speaks of God's grace, his goodness, right? His favor towards humans. The first passage that I read to you last week and preached on was behave thyself. Behave thyself. This one here this morning really comes from verse 7. I, I, I've got to comment, though, that verse 8 is my life verse. You ever heard that somebody say they got a life verse? But verse 8's my life verse. Bodily exercise profiteth little. I'm going to have it embroidered on a pillow and put on my couch. I've lived by that one. Okay. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Verse 7 says, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Verse 8 goes right along with it, especially that first part. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. What is, what, what is Paul saying there? What is he getting at? What is he telling Timothy and through Timothy, right? He's telling Timothy this, and Timothy needs to teach these things, right? If we go right on down, the last verse I read to you, what was that? Verse 11? It says these things to, to command and to, uh, what's the other word there? Uh, Scott, teach? What's verse 11 say? I got plenty. Yeah, teach. teach. Okay, command and teach. All right, so Paul tells Timothy this, and then he tells Timothy 
to, to command and to teach this, right? To tell his people, this is, what you, this is how you need to live. Now, what he's saying in that statement is he's not saying that exercise is bad. We all know exercise is good for you, okay? Right? I mean, we, our, our Bible tells us our body is the temple of God. And therefore, we need to respect it and we need to take care of it. And, and, and we know, right? We know, right, that exercise is good. But what he's telling Timothy is there's another kind of exercise that's even better for you. Spiritual exercise. I have told you that this sermon that is going to drag out over two weeks now uh, is spiritual fitness test, right? So the first one was behave thyself. The second one is exercise thyself. And exercise thyself not with dumbbells, but spiritually unto godliness. It's much more profitable. And he goes on and he talks about it. He says, physical exercise is only beneficial in this life right here. But the Bible tells us and teaches us, James teaches us, was that James chapter 4, that life is just a vapor, right? In a blink of an eye, it is over. I mean, Mr. Don, what, doesn't it seem like a blink of an eye ago that you were 20 years old? I'm not going to call him old like I did Jimmy last week, but Mr. Don is way past 20. And it turns out Jimmy's not near as old as he looks either, so anyways. Sorry, Jimmy, I couldn't stand it one more time. I'm done after this, I promise. Physical exercise now is only profitable for the blink of an eye, and it's and it's only it's it, it, and it's only profitable in a limited ways. But spiritual exercise is not only profitable, beneficial in this life. But he says, but in the life to come, right? Meaning in eternity. So which one should you spend, now I'm not telling you not to exercise, but which one should you spend the most time on, right? So that's what, that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Now why, we could speculate, why is it that Paul specifically is giving Timothy this instruction? Was Timothy into physical exercise? I don't know, maybe he was. Then again, maybe it's just a good illustration, right? Paul likes to use athletics as, as illustrations, right? He uses uh, running and, and, and things like that, you know, as, as illustrations in other places. So it's probably just a good illustration. But the point is, is exercise thyself unto godliness. So, what does that mean? What does that mean? look like. I mean, I hope at this point you agree with me that, that you know, I'm not just talking out of my head here, but, but you know, I'm on to something here. But what specifically does that mean? What does that look like to us? All right, let me take it from this angle. If when Paul is talking about physical exercise, if he is thinking, has in mind an athlete, a runner, for instance, 
a boxer, uh, you know, whatever. Go through the list, right? There was a lot of games that was popular then, in that part of the world especially. If he is thinking of one of these athletes, what is it that they do? They're disciplined. They're training to compete. That's their bodily exercise, and they have to be disciplined. Anybody who has been who has been an athlete and, and has excelled uh, in that can tell you it takes a lot of training, and you got to stay after it. And as soon as you let up on it, you'll go soft, right? Uh, you'll lose it. And so anyway, so that is what he is saying here, right? We will not become spiritually strong Christians. Why is it that so many Christians are led away after false doctrine? We had an encounter Thursday night with somebody that's kind of dabbling with some of that, didn't we? Me and you talked about it some. Why is it that so many are caught up, right? This chapter starts out that, that now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And then it goes on, right? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared uh, with a hot iron, right? Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from certain foods. And and the list goes on and on here that that he gives, right? And these are more uh, just examples Because we haven't exercised ourselves to godliness. We have not been disciplined. We have not been training spiritually. And so we are weak. We are soft as Christians. We're the op- whatever you word you want to put there uh, that's the opposite of strong. You will not become a spiritually strong Christian if you are not spiritually disciplined. If you and I are not spiritually disciplined, we will become couch potato Christians. And I'm speaking spiritually. Now, I don't mean that you're set on the couch and eat potato chips all the time. I'm talking in the spiritual realm, spiritually. And do you know, <laughs> Bible tells us the enemy, the devil. You, you know we have an adversary, right? He, his name is Satan. He is the devil, right? Lucifer, right? He's, the, he's that serpent that's been around from the beginning, right? That was in the garden deceiving Eve, right? To, tempting Adam to sin, right? We, we have that same adversary. The Bible tells us he walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why does the Bible use that analogy like a roaring lion? How, how, does, a, how does a lion uh, seek its prey? I mean, think back to some of you ain't as old as I am. Some of you are <clears throat> older than I am. Uh, but anyways, do, do you remember, um, I can't think of the name of it for the life of me. It used to be on TV all the time. All I can remember is Omaha and his name was Jim. The safaris and all that. What? Maybe. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. I can just remember as a kid sitting there and watching, right? And they're talking about, right, these different, you know, African animals. And I can remember them, the Jeep with the big 
chair sitting out there and you know I mean I'm a little kid and I got faint memories right but in my mind it's almost like there's a big net or something I don't know but anyways the safari and things like that they talk about the lion and so what does the lion do right when the lion is stalking a herd right they, they say it's a say it's a herd of antelope or it's a herd of uh, of uh, wildebeest or, 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 or water buffalo or something, what does that lion do, right? He watches that herd and then the biggest, strongest bull in the, in the herd, he says, I'm going to take him down and make an example out of him, right? No, not even close. Not even close. He looks for those that are weak, sick, lame, elderly, or just plain stupid. (laughs) What do I mean by just plain stupid? When you wander away from the hurt, You know the danger is there and is real. Jesus told Peter that Satan desired to sift him as wheat. What do you think that means? That doesn't mean he desires to sit down and have a cup of coffee with him. It means it's the lion he seeks to pounce him. We know that we have an adversary. We know that he is real. We know that he's looking for the first good opportunity to get you. And if we just wander off from the herd, either because we're not paying attention or because we, whatever, chasing butterflies, I don't know. I don't understand. But it's just plain stupid. You know why? Because you're who the lion's going to go after first. So, this is why Paul tells Timothy, if he is going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, he needs to teach these things and command these things. He needs to warn the people that God has put under his care of what is out there, who the enemy is, what the dangers are, what the pitfalls are, what kind of things, right, uh, will get them in trouble, how to be disciplined, right, how to spiritually train and be strong uh, spiritually in the Lord. On the other hand, feeding on spiritual food, Practicing spiritual discipline. What do I mean by practicing spiritual discipline? Spend time in the Word of God, reading the Word of God. Uh, What else do I mean? I mean spend time in prayer. What else do I mean? I mean, as the Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Right? So we need to come together. We need to hear the Word of God preached. Right? We need to pray with other Christians. We need to worship with other Christians. Right? We need to have personal time of devotion and in Bible study. But we also need to come together. The Bible tells us iron sharpens iron. And have times together. 
practicing spiritual discipline. That is what will produce spiritually healthy believers, thereby creating an effective local church who could go out and, and do the work of God. What it is the Lord has called us to do. That's why it goes on in verse 8 and says, Godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that it now is and of that which is to come. Exercise. Train. Be disciplined spiritually, right? Exercise thyself. Train thyself. Discipline thyself unto godliness. Stay in the word. Live a life of prayer. Stay in fellowship with other Christians, right? With other believers. Remain submitted to Jesus Christ. It's his will, not our will, right? And remain true to him as our as our Lord and our, our personal Lord and Savior, right? Uh, and live the holy life, right? What does that mean to live a holy life, right? A life that is separated from the things of the world, right? Not indulging in the things of the world, but instead indulging in the things of God, right? Uh, that is the kind of life because God has called you and I to... Uh, to that kind of life, right? It is a life that, that must be guided, directed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And then real quickly here, the rest of this chapter, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Do you hear what Paul is saying to Timothy? Just because you're young, uh, don't let that bother you and don't let anyone else be fooled by that. But you be an example to them. You be an example by how you live. You be an example by being a man of word, right? You be an example that whenever you talk, you have conversation, uh, that it matches that, that, the way you live, right? That it matches that, right? In charity, you're talking about in love and in spirit and faith and purity. Verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Ain't that something? Paul's telling Timothy, I'm going to come visit y'all, but it's going to take a while and until I do. You, you just stay right in there with reading the word of God, preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God. Verse 14, and neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, uh, that thy prophecy may appear to all, take heed unto thyself, there's another one right there, and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself, there's the third one in this passage, and them that hear thee. Can I focus just a minute on that take Heed unto thyself. Christians are to regularly examine themselves. I say this every time when we do communion. And we've got foot washing and communion coming up here before too long. We always do it at Easter time. Uh, and sometimes we'll do communion other times throughout the year too. But always the Easter time we do. And I always tell, tell you that... Whenever I read the scriptures we use for communion, it says, let a man examine himself. And when it says man, it means mankind, so that's male and female both. But I always emphasize, you must examine yourself before you partake. But please don't let this be the only time that you examine yourselves. We need to 
be examining ourselves on a very regular basis. Keep thyself. Take heed unto thyself. Examine thyself. You know, I was thinking, thinking about health and exercise and all that. We keep track of our weight. We keep track of our blood sugar. We keep track of our cholesterol. We keep track of our blood pressure. Uh, they have to do blood work on me because of a medicine I take once a year. Sometimes twice a year. Usually it's once a year if everything's looking good. And there's a whole host of other things that they measure. I don't even know what half of it is. But we keep track of all these different things, along with having regular checkups at the doctor's office, you know, just in order to keep in, in, in good or reasonably good physical shape or the best physical shape that we possibly can. Well, listen to me. Likewise, we need to examine our spiritual health in light of biblical truth, in light of what the Bible says. We need to examine ourselves. We need to take heed of ourselves. Right? The very words I read to you in this passage of Scripture, right? Like, give attendance, neglect not, give thyself holy, take, he uh, take heed. Right? They all emphasize doing so to the fullest degree, right? To do so completely with the understanding of their importance to our own self and not only the importance to ourselves, but therefore through us to others. Mom and Dad, you don't think that, it, that your spiritual health makes a difference on your children's spiritual health? I'll guarantee you it does. I'll guarantee you it does way more than what you think it does. Husbands, you don't think that your spiritual health and spiritual leadership doesn't affect your wife, and not only your wife, but everyone else in your life? You are sadly mistaken if you don't think so. Wives, it goes for you too. All I'm trying to do and all of this is emphasizing our spiritual health. The reason is so that we can have the fullest use of our spiritual gifts, right? That's why Paul is instructing Timothy to train, right? As a, as a physical athlete, whenever you train, you exercise, you're doing that so that you have the fullest use of your faculties, the fullest use of your of muscles and your body, right? In order to perform at absolute top level. This is exactly what he's instructing Timothy is to put that same kind of training and exercise in place spiritually so that spiritually he can perform at top level. And this is not about self-indulgence or pleasure or just so that I would, you know, could feel good or feel good about myself, whatever, you know. That is not the reason. The reason is so that we have the fullest impact for the kingdom of God, so that we could have the fullest use of our spiritual gifts in order to have a powerful spiritual impact on a spiritually dead world.
we look at our nation, we look at the garbage that is going on, the absolute filth on our TV sets, what is being taught, and you know why it's in that condition? Do you know who's at fault and who's to blame? If you're pointing your finger anywhere but at ourselves, you're pointing it in the wrong direction. The church has not exercised itself to godliness, and it has been spiritually weak for a long time. And because of that, we have fallen into all of these things that, I, that the Bible talks about here. So here's my question. I'm closing. Come on, Jennifer. He's telling us to do this so that we have the greatest impact. Spiritual impact on those around us. On a dead and dying world. And so my question to you is, are you? Are you having any kind of a spiritual impact on those around you? On your family? On your friends? On your neighbors? On your co-workers? Does the life that you live, right? The life you live is directly determined by whether or not you exercise yourself to godliness. Do you spend enough time in spiritual exercise, spiritual training, spiritual discipline, godliness? In other words, reading your Bible, praying, right? Uh, doing the things that God tells us to do. That you are spiritually fit enough that you actually have an impact on those around you. You really need to be in good spiritual health in order to do what God has called you to do. Fathers, you're called to lead your children to the Lord. You're called to train them and show them. What kind of life are you living? What's your spiritual health like? I want to open the altar. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want to open the altar. I'm going to stop right here. Lord willing, I'll finish tonight. i got two more, two more passages. By the time I've completed that, you will have heard all uh, five passages with all seven times thyself appears in those three books. And all five of those together is what I refer to as a spiritual fitness test. So I'm begging you this morning, the Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come? you got a need, you got a burden, you come right on. God dealing with you about something, you come on. You ain't right with God, now's the time. Don't you wait. I wouldn't wait for everything the world's got to offer. It ain't worth it. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not even promised this afternoon. I'm begging you, would you come? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, don't sit back there any longer. You just come right on.